Nonprofit founders and leaders, change makers and dreamers? Are you searching for new ways to be heard amidst the overwhelming noise and confusion of these uncertain times? Giving Heartbeat is the place to make connections and ignite sparks of compassion into forces for good and together turn unsung heroes into everyday superheroes. Conversations with dynamic nonprofit champions from across the planet reveal how they turned passion into action and obstacles into achievements. I'm your host, Donna Valente. Welcome. Over the past three decades, I've met hundreds of incredible nonprofit changemakers from around the world. It's my passion and mission to promote them. This is Giving Heartbeat. Welcome. Welcome to the Giving Heartbeat studio. Today we have Nikki Brown Booker. Nikki is the program officer for the Disability Inclusion Fund at Borealis Philanthropy. As a person with a disability and a biracial woman, she has been interested in the intersection of disability justice and racial justice. Her mother emigrated from the Philippines and was a domestic worker, and her father was a professional chef and a long-term member of the SEIU. She was taught at a young age that justice is a human right. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology and is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Most recently, she was the executive director for Easy Does It Emergency Services, a nonprofit that provides emergency services for people with disabilities and seniors in Berkeley. She has also been doing organizing work with Hand in Hand, the Domestic Employers Network, and helped pass the California Domestic Workers Bill of Rights. Welcome to the Giving Heartbeat Studio, Nikki. It's so nice to have you here. Maybe we would be better served just jumping right into um, your experience in working with nonprofits and um, about Easy Does It Services and how you got involved with that. Sure, sure. So um, Easy Does It Emergency Services is a nonprofit in Berkeley, uh, California, but it actually is really the only organization in the world that's doing uh, what it does. And what they do is they provide emergency attendant care services, uh, personal assistant services. Um, they do transportation services, and um, they also uh, do um, just emergency response, disaster response. Um, and I really got involved with them. I was on the board. I was invited by the secretary to join our board because I obviously, as a person with a disability, has been working in a nonprofit world for probably 20 years by that point. I really... And I and I use Easy Desert Services many times, so I really was I really wanted to, you know, give back um, uh, to them. And they were do and they and they go into people's homes um, and to provide their services. And as a therapist, 
I was working with people with disabilities and, and often going into homes and working with um, people with disabilities who are having like mental health issues. Um, I, I focused on working with uh, families um, in which a family member had a disability. So I really felt like, you know, a real kinship to the organization and the work that they were doing and really um, was excited when I um, became their executive director. That's awesome. Had you always had a path in the nonprofit world? I know you, you're in, your um, education is in psych- clinical psychology, correct? And um, so how did they work hand in hand? Well, it's interesting is that when I was in college and I was trying to decide what it is I wanted to do with my, with my life, um, I worked at a, like a peer counseling center and I, and I knew that I wanted to become a therapist after doing that type of work. And when I started working in the field, I realized that there really were no other, very few therapists with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they were working with clients that had, you know, a lot of disability issues and a lot of, and, you know, obviously we know that a good portion of the world have disabilities and yet there were therapists who were doing, working with, uh, with this clientele that didn't really have that experience and couldn't really speak to the experience that people were having. Um, so that's how I got involved um, in working with nonprofits. So originally I worked for a nonprofit that specialized in working with um, victims of crime, doing trauma-based work. And as you probably know, a lot of people with disabilities have a lot of trauma, particularly medical trauma in their lives. Um, And that's really how I really started working in the nonprofit world. Um, And I also worked at another organization in Berkeley called Through the Looking Glass that does uh, works with families with disabilities. Um, And so um, I was you know, just really interested in the work and the people I was working with. And, and you know, as I was doing this work and getting more involved in like doing management and program development, I was really ready to take the next step into becoming a director. So that's how I, you know, kind of worked my way <laughs> through the nonprofit world, uh, management world and to become an executive director. That's amazing. I'm familiar actually with both of those organizations um, through my career at the Reef Foundation. And um, well, Easy Does It, I love, but Through the Looking Glass, that was one of my favorite all-time organizations. That's such a cool organization. And that's um, advocating for um, parents with disabilities, is that correct? And helping them with modified um, equipment so they can raise their kidlets. Yes. Yeah, it was a great organization um, to work for. And really, in a lot of ways, it's where I really learned about what it means to work with people with disabilities. Um, You know, I've had a disability my whole life, so I know what it was like to be disabled, but to actually, like, do work and and to see uh, just a wide range of uh, people and all the different experiences that they were, you know, going through. Um, when I was at Through the Looking Glass, I actually did a 
uh, youth group for people um, for transition age youth with disabilities. And um, it was one of my favorite things I've ever done in my career was really like working with um, youth that were really kind of taking the next step into adulthood and and be able to do some mentorship with them. That's great because it, people, I think people see you in all the different roles that you've had and it's and something that you mentioned in your blog where like you don't see people that look like you in these different situations and now you're out there and, and working in the field and um, it, it's wonderful. I'd love to know how you got into the other side of the table and got into the grant making and, and how that's working out and. So, um, I think, you know, I, in, in some ways I kind of like accidentally stumbled onto the other side of the other side of the table it, as, you know, as an executive director, I wrote many, many grants mm-hmm. and, um, and was always interested into like why we didn't get the grant or why, you know, why we got the grant and actually both sides. And, um, and I, um, I saw the uh, position um, and I was like, you know, I really, I'm really wanting to do something different. Uh, I mean, being, I love being an executive director, but you know, it's a really hard, challenging job and really stressful. And I really wanted to do something um, different. Um, so when I saw the, um, the job opening, I was so excited about it because um, it was just like an opportunity to actually be able to give money away <laughs> as opposed to like asking for money it was really exciting and to really support the community that I've been part of for so long and really love and and really just ex- the excitement of being able to support um, organizations uh, that really support people with disabilities because what I what I noticed about philanthropy was that there weren't a lot of um, large foundations that were really supporting dis- disability organizations specifically. Like they might do a little piece of disability, but there was nothing out there that was really about just serving uh, people with disabilities. And this fund really, that's really what it's about. And the fact that we're really focusing on doing some disability justice work was also really attractive to me. Um, and supporting um, organizations that don't always get the first cut and don't make the first cut because we're really about supporting um, like BIPOC-led uh, organizations that are you know, led by people with disabilities who are also people of color or um, gender non-conforming, um, uh, indigenous populations, just like, you know, they're usually the last piece of pie to, to get anything, yeah. if they get anything at all. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited about uh, the opportunity to be, to be able to be on the other side of the table. That's amazing. So is that something where you have to go to an office? Can you work from your home? Like, how does that all work? I was fascinated when I stumbled upon you and Borealis Philanthropy. I just, I mean, the, the number of grants and the funds that you guys are doing, it's incredible. Uh, I was so excited. Well, you know, um, 
luckily uh everybody at borealis works from home we're all we're we are remote run um organization so before uh COVID 19 came along i was already working at home so and i have other than having to be at home all the time, it hasn't really changed my work life uh, very much. Um, if anything, I think we're actually more, I've been more busy because we did a, a rapid response um, grant for um, COVID-19. Um, yeah, so, and in, in, like you said, Borealis has, uh, uh, they focus on movement building funds. So, you know, we're doing a lot of different um types of work and and uh, another thing that's really unique about borealis is that all of the funds are led by people that are in that community uh, that are you know have their own lived experiences within the community mm -hmm. that they're serving um, which i think is really unique um and really should be happening much more often right absolutely i mean you'd think that would be the standard right right exactly. that's what cool about it another thing that i thought was so cool was the the number of foundations you know it's like a group right it's not one foundation it's like five for nielsen foundation macarthur and it's also part of the presidents i mean that's a lot of yeah so the, president, so the disability inclusion fund was really started by a, a collection of foundations um which are um, collectively known as the President's Council um, on Di and Disability, and um, and it's made up of seventeen um, foundations right now, um, and hopefully growing as we go along. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's incredible. I think that's and what's so really incredible about the President's Council is all of the all of the foundations the president's councils are actually the presidents of the foundations that are, that are coming together to do this work interesting yeah yeah so have you found that uh, oh so when did the Dis disability inclusion fund start so this is our first full year oh. um it um it it, it started, you know, the brainchild of the fund started about uh, two years ago. Um, and I came on in um, November, really, really started full force in January of uh, 2020. Um, and um, this is our first full year of grant making. So before it was just kind of setting up the fund and um, part of doing, um, of doing grant making and we really wanted to do a landscape analysis of the field. So we <coughs> I hired um, a consultant, a researcher, uh, Sandy Hill um, from Brandeis University and she um, interviewed um, advocates in this field throughout the country. She, she did about 15 interviews and just really asked them what, what needed, what does, what can philanthropy do in order to serve people with disabilities better? Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of the, the goal of, of doing the landscape analysis. And, uh, and uh, we, that came up to be like about a 40 page report. And then we're kind of, and it's driving a lot of our grant making. So we're, 
you know, some of the things that came out in that report were uh, that we needed to support more grassroots organizations, disability justice work, mm-hmm. um, work that really um, did intersectional work, um, cross movement building um, type of work. Mm-hmm. And that's really, so that's really where we're focusing um, our grant to, to, to really address those needs. And is that something that you're going to carry on to next year as well, or do you see new initiatives coming forward? So the Disability Inclusion Fund is a, it's a, a, a the President's Council has made a five-year commitment to the fund. Uh-huh. Um, I'm hoping that it will continue well beyond the five years, but we'll see. Um, and right now it's about uh, around ten, ten million dollars, uh, and that can, in over five years, uh, we'll be giving out funds of, of at least ten million dollars, probably more, because we, we are. Uh, I th- I think other foundations are very interested in what we're doing. We'll join right. um, the president's council. Um. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of what we're what we're trying focus on and I, I think that over the next five years I, I see that it will probably change as we go along I mean it's definitely you know a learning experience and each year we will do an evaluation of the of the year of grant making and the work and see what where we can tweak it what needs to change how we can um, you know make the work better mm-hmm. one thing that's uh, also unique about our fund is we're doing a participatory grant-making model. Um, so what that means is that we are, um, we have invited um, advocates in the disability community to participate in the um, grant-making process in the grant-making process. So for this first year, we just uh, we just have put out a uh, request for proposal. It closed actually last week, mm-hmm. and we are put together a committee of, of five foundations and five disability uh, advocates, and they will be meeting to make decisions to decide who gets who gets this year's uh, grant round of grants. Wow! So, which is a very unique process to actually have both um, people with lived experiences and funders work um, coming together to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you, would you envision like Zoom meetings or do you have, um, how do you, I'm fascinated because that's what I used to do. It's so exciting. Well, unfortunately, because of COVID-19, we will be doing Zoom meetings. We're going to do a series of Zoom meetings. Um, uh, we actually got 150 applications for this go round, so we are going to. Everybody will be reading all the applications. We'll cut it down to probably an initial maybe 40, and then mm-hmm. and the committee will read through each application and make one, and we'll kind of narrow it. Down. Gotcha. We're going to give about about around 25 uh, grants this year. Nice for this round. Um, into a, a COVID-19 rapid response uh-huh. um, a grant making earlier this year. 
and we had an overwhelming response. We had over 500 applications for the rapid response. We gave them 15 um, um, grants, $15,000 grants. Nice. Nice. So I know that some of the applications are by invite only. Do you have open RFPs as well? So we did, uh, we actually did both processes. We did an open application. Awesome. Uh, And um, for this, for this second round, we limited the, um, the uh, organization's budget size to 100 uh, to 1.5 million because we really want to really are focusing on on grassroots. Awesome. Um, So I'm kind of to go back to your previous question. Yeah, we are going to be doing Zoom meetings. Our hope is that next year we'll actually be able to meet in person <laughs> and um, uh, hopefully to bring everybody together on, you know, uh, the committee for like, you know, a week and then we'll sit down and flesh out the um, applications. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully the world <laughs> will be different next year yep. at some point. Um, so- score sheet that you for each reviewer or yeah we we have a rubric that we developed a scoring sheet mm-hmm. each go through each application um you know we're really focusing on organizations that are doing like movement building um policy work uh doing collaborative work um we're really focusing prioritizing organizations that are disability led so that at least fifty uh, percent of their management have uh, disabilities. Um, people are people with disabilities, um, and and we're really focusing on um, looking for organizations that are doing like intersectional uh, work or we're right. doing cross cross movement. Mm-hmm. That's great. So it, for uh, nonprofit organizations working with and run by people with disabilities can they look to the disability inclusion fund in the next year should they follow borealis philanthropy or how do they keep keep engaged Uh, thank you for asking that question they should go to borealis philanthropy and click on the disability inclusion fund and there will be a um, there's a mailing list that they can sign up on Uh, nice and they will get our announcement um, when they go out. Um, and you know, we could, we try to do as much outreach as possible um, when mm-hmm. we send out um, RP. But you know, as much as much uh, you know as we can spread the word, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and each in each year, we're going to look at where we got applications, where, what, what's missing, where, what populations we're not getting to, and try and do some targeted uh, those groups. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of our plan. And I think it'll be a little bit different every year how we do it. But I, as you said, it's a learning process. So we're hoping to get better and better at it. Well, it's, it, I loved the way it was presented and it's so inclusive and you were so patient in your webinar and um, the fact that you would take questions and understand that there might be difficulties with um, various people in 
getting the application in. I thought that was really wonderful. So well, I mean, that's one thing about what we're doing. I think that uh, we are doing differently than a lot than a lot of other uh, funders is that we are making the applications accessible in many formats. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, we did some video applications. We did uh, we did some applications over the phone. Um, we had it available in like Google Doc, Word documents, uh, as well as our portal. So as we want, because not everybody, you know, <clears throat> it can, uh, you know, everybody has different needs. So we wanted to make the application as accessible as possible and to um, support, you know, um, people that have different, um, you know, different accessibility needs. Yeah, I th- I think that's something that that should be done a lot more, and it's really wonderful, and it really speaks to people out there that are working hard to make a difference that might look at an application and just like freeze because they know what they want to say, and it just looks complicated, and you know. So I I think that's wonderful that you you accept applications that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to to see um, the the grants that are funded and follow the work. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm excited about it. I, I was actually reading some applications earlier today, and I'm like, there's some really amazing work being done out there. And um, I'm excited to be able to support a lot of different, um, you know, organizations. And many of them are really small. They're This is like really their first opportunity to get some bigger, um, you know, grants, you know, Funding, so um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, who our final grantee. Yeah, that'll be really exciting. And um, I was wondering if you're thinking about like I know you said you're gonna it's going to be somewhat reactionary to what you get in and when then identifying the missing pieces. Um, but I'm just like I keep hearing the intersectionality of the different. Um, quests for justice and social justice and um, of kind of, I don't know, of a way to bring people that are doing that together. And then like, like I, I picture like networks of people doing like the easy does it work and other stuff where it's, it can broaden beyond different cities and communities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think that's one of the, advantages of housing the fund at uh, Borealis because we have so many different types of movement building funds and we talk together all the time as a staff about how we can how we can cross uh, grants to each other's organizations and support mm-hmm. different movements um, you know as you know people with disabilities are not just people with disabilities or you know there are black people there you know indigenous people they're doing um they're women they're you know children they're every they're, they represent every you know uh range of life uh there are so we want to make sure that we are really um you know as intersectional as possible that's great. Is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners that um, might be helpful in, say, writing a grant proposal? Do you have any quick tips you'd like to share that you like to see? Oh, that's a really great question, actually. I think, um, 
you know, from someone who's written many grants, <laughs> I think, um, I think if the organization, if the funder offers a webinar, definitely <laughs> attend because that that's a really good way to actually get some questions answered. Um, and um, and you know, I think one of the challenges is always to read between the lines to figure out what it is that the funder really want, what, what they're really looking for. Um, I mean, I for uh, I've been really. Um, allowed myself to be really um, um, open to people call, you know, calling me up and asking me questions and answering emails. I know not all funders are like that, but, you know, I really, as we said, we want to be as inclusive as possible. But I think for the person writing the grant, it's just to really read the applications really uh, carefully and really mm -hmm. see if you can kind of figure out what it is you know that they're looking for you know we're not our we're we are not i won't say that we're not supporting service oriented organizations but we really want it to support organizations that are doing you know not just serve direct service mm -hmm. uh, you know so you know that's one thing you know we when we did our um rapid response we got a lot of direct service um uh, applications and we you know what we're we our work is, we want our work to be broader than than that. And not that we're excluding direct service, but we want those organizations to do other things other than just direct service. Mm -hmm. That was something that we had to be really clear about and when we wrote our RFP. And from the, we now being on the other side, I really realized that crafting an RFP is a much more challenging thing than you would think it is and really making sure that you write it in such a way that people really get a, a flavor of what it is that you're looking for. I agree. I think those are great tips because there's so much that goes into every sentence in an RFP and an application, you know, and so if somebody gives you a, an instruction, follow that. Exactly. <laughs> As you're going to get booted because there's many other applications waiting for funding too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to you know, it's hard to say no, but Gosh. but you know, uh, um, as a philanthropist, you have to be able to you know, say no sometimes. So, and that's that's part of that is part of the job. Yeah. And but you know, one of my hopes about this particular fund and being part of the President's Council is that hopefully the foundations will start thinking about the other grants that they're getting in their, um, in their, uh, from their foundations and really broaden the scope of the work that they are supporting. And that, you know, so if it's an organization that's funding art the arts that they're really also funding arts programs that serve people with disabilities that so they're not looking they're not thinking they're broadening they're, they're thinking about how they support organizations awesome so do you have any advice for someone um anyone living with a disability that wants to get into philanthropy Oh, that's a good, really good question. <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, 
reading about philanthropies was really important for me. I did a lot of, I read a lot of journals about philanthropy. I was very interested in participatory grant making. So, you know, I went online and just did some searches and did some reading about what, what's going on. Um, and um, I think it does help to have uh, some knowledge about uh, how nonprofits work. Um, and um, because um, you know that the philanthropists are really looking to know that you have some experience and that you're really knowing um, the field that you're working in, uh, <laughs> that you're you know you're representing, um, and you know just look for the jobs and apply for them. You know you, you don't really have anything to lose. You you, you just have to uh, go for it. Um, and uh, I'm really excited. I'm really happy that I did since I'm, like I said, I'm learning, uh, I'm learning a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it's amazing that this opportunity came up for you because you're so perfect for that role. I mean, it's like custom made for you. And um, I think the Disability Inclusion Fund is so cool and a model for others. And I'm really looking forward to following Borealis Philanthropy. Oh, can I tell you a weird coincidence, Nikki? Sure. I started designing t-shirt designs, and I was also talking to my friend Edna, but I designed something that has Aurora Borealis in the background that I really like, and, and I was talking and learning more about Borealis, and I was like, what is this Borealis? And then it hit me, and it, like, it kind of happened at the same time, and then I and I was, I met you, and then we, you agreed to the interview, and it just kind of all happened at the same time. And I thought that that was really cosmic. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I know your time is precious, and I've kept you longer than I said I would. But I just wanted to thank you so much, Nikki, for your work, um, for your advocacy. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what. Disability Inclusion Fund uh, funds and telling a lot of people about your work in Borealis Philanthropy, and I know it's going to bring a lot of positive change. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really, um, I'm hoping it does. And I already feel like the philanthropy is changing just because our fund exists. So. That's true. Okay, well, I think that's about it. So I wanted to thank you so much um, for joining me today at, at Giving Heartbeat, and um, we'll see you on the airwaves, or hear you, I should say. What a privilege to have Nikki Brown Booker in the Giving Heartbeat studio. I can't wait to see what projects Borealis Philanthropy funds this cycle. Next week in episode 16, we'll speak with Andy Arias, actor, model, activist for LGBTQ rights and disability rights, and policy advisor for the U.S. Department of Labor. I can't wait to share that interview with you all. And a quick reminder that Giving Heartbeat podcast merch is available on Amazon under my brand Cosmic Daydreams. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Giving Heartbeat, where we make unsung heroes into everyday superheroes. 
Please Be My Hero and subscribe, download, rate, and review and tell all your friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Naomi Charney for my beautiful cover art. Thanks to Chris Hogan for his theme music, Pure Magic, and to audio engineer extraordinaire Don Sternacker at Mixolydian Studios. Please take action today to support nonprofits that connect with your passion. Be the change you want to see in the world. Until next time, the beat goes on. This is Donna Valente. Peace out. Mm-hmm.